Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Kalecki. And today, we're talking about a trendy new genre, the Bullet Heaven, the action roguelike survival game, the horde survival game. Anyway, uh, it's three games, one of which you've definitely heard of, Vampire Survivors, and a couple in a similar vein, 20 Minutes Till Dawn and Bone Razor Minions. So we'll go through each of those uh, because we thought it would be interesting to get a sampling from this trendy new game design trend. Kind of, like, I feel like, this genre is so new that it hasn't even gotten a settled genre name yet. Like, I don't know what yep. this is called yet. Survivor-like, maybe? I mean, vampire survivor-like is pretty big mouthful, so I don't think it's going to be that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I liked. I like a few that I've heard. Uh, action roguelike is a little too broad. Uh, crowd management, that's an interesting one. Um, I personally like survive em up um, <laughs> whatever they are, they're popular these days. Um, they are. And this all kind of started with a game called Vampire Survivors that was released in, I think, December of 2021. Close. November. November. <laughs> it kind of like uh, was just there and uh, nobody really played it for a little while. I think it was at only 10 reviews on Steam. Uh, for quite a little bit there, a uh, couple of months, until it was picked up by some streamers who really loved the simple gameplay and the um, the meta progression, the game feel of the game, and really uh, uh, pushed the game. And now it became so successful that it really kind of spawned uh, imitators, uh, enough imitators that a new genre was born like how uh, first person shooters used to be called doom likes until uh, or doom clones until people were like <laughs> no this is just a first person shooter now yeah i think it's it's worth maybe pointing out at the top about vampire survivors and that it may not have like whole cloth invented this since the developer luca gallant did uh, directly sort of say he was inspired by another game called i believe magic survivors um, but this is definitely the Minecraft to Magic Survivors, if Infiniminer, if we're talking about, you know, Notch taking a lot of inspiration from another title to create Minecraft back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, to that end, uh, maybe we start off with Vampire Survivors and then and talk about the other two in turn. Uh, you want to kick us off with a quick summary of Vampire Survivors? Sure. Uh, Vampire Survivors. Um, it's kind of a top-down game where the tagline for it is be the bullet hell like um (laughs) we've all played those bullet hell games before where there's that boss sending off streams and streams of attacks and weapons and everything where you gotta dodge them well the fun part is that you don't dodge them here you produce them yes you are basically a um a moving shooting uh mass of uh holy wrath against all of the sort of gothically Castlevania-themed enemies that Vampire Survivors throws at you. And there are hundreds of them. Um, I think the interesting thing here is that it is a uh, single-stick, no-button control scheme. So you're just moving. You're moving into some experience things, and the, or experience balls, I guess. And the basic loop is kill monsters, pick up XP, and get weapons and skills. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of interesting things there. Like you said, um, when you kill a monster, which happens quite often, they drop a little experience ball, which of course you gotta gobble those up if you want to survive. Um, mm-hmm. But they didn't have it where you just get the experience on killing the monster. You have to navigate yourself 
to those little experience balls, which can provide a fun challenge because you're trying to dodge the monsters at the same time as you're trying to set them up so that your attacks wipe them out. At the same time, you're trying to um, grab all the experience you can so you can keep on going. Yeah, I think it's interesting how um, uh, they there is this ebb and flow where it's at the start, as you said, you're dodging. Uh, you're trying to stay away from enemies while you um, pick up experience and get more powerful. Then eventually the dynamic flips and you're seeking out the enemies and just sort of carving a path through this endless swath of, of enemies. It's it's pretty nice. Um, it's, a, it's a very sort of good game feel, but I guess to that end, maybe we should talk about uh, a little bit more about how this came to be. I know we already mentioned it, it came out early or late in 2021. Uh, it went to viral in January of 2022, and now here in late 2022, as we record, it is, um, as you mentioned, the front runner for an entire genre. And that is, uh, I think it's in large part to Luca Punkel Gallant, who put this out and basically quit his job once he realized it was going super viral and has spent the rest of the year basically iterating on this game and eventually taking it out of early access into its official launch back in October. Oh yeah, and you know, good on him for making such a great game and definitely this is the kind of game you recognize it's doing this good. I mean just looking I'm looking at the Steam page right now. We got um hundred fifty thousand reviews or so like <laughs> you know, I've thrown around the terms box lighter number. That's kind of estimating sales based off of those reviews. So mm-hmm. I think right now you think there's about fifty purchases per review and even at three dollars a piece for a game, which is another interesting thing about this game is it's yeah, only three dollars. Um but that is uh, money that you quit your job for. Uh, so yes. great job <laughs> on him. He is justly rewarded here. Yeah, I like how economically this sort of all came together, too. Um, I read an interview where he said, you know, the reason this has that sort of signature Castlevania-esque style is he just grabbed an asset pack uh, that he purchased uh, rights-free and then said, you know, it was clearly Castlevania-inspired, and he uses it on all of his projects up until this point. And so this one was no different. He just used it on this product, and (laughs) and it stuck for the the uber-viral game, which I found to be really... Um, interesting. <laughs> I think it's it's nice. I like that. Uh, you know this this isn't the game with the highest graphical production values over here, uh, and it's great because it did so well. It kind of shows that you know it doesn't have to be the latest and greatest ray tracing algorithms out there in order to make a hit. You know, I would go so far as to say it even shows that even like having really high polished pixel art games like those that Devolver Digital would pick up and consistently put out, um, you know, it certainly helps. It helps a game on a surface level. But to your point, Josh, it is heartening to see a game that clearly doesn't have those types of considerations and production values catch fire like this. Um, A good idea can, in fact, still succeed. It has a good arcade game feel like you're going around and um, it's fun to see the power curve that your character progresses on because um, it's kind of like, I, I don't know, it, it's almost exponential how much more powerful you get. Like at the beginning, you're sniping at a few stray bats that are coming at you and you're 
avoiding the hordes, trying to find the clear paths and everything. And as you collect more experience orbs and get those powers and attacks upgraded, you're able to take down and start mowing down um, more and more creatures. And I think kind of like the signature moment for this game is when your screen is filled with, I don't know, um, hundreds or thousands of zombie sprites coming at you and your guys just mowing through them. Yeah, I, I think, and of course, all of the weapons that you're, and skills that you're talking about picking up are also Castlevania-themed, right? So you have your classic whips and knives and axes, uh, crucifixes and axes. Yes, exactly. And they, they take different forms. I think some of them, from for my money, are active versus passive. Like there's ones that fire off in a consistent uh, cadence. There's some that are just constantly active or uh, active on a refresh rate. And um, there's also combos of them that not only just work well together, but even as you go further, there are passive upgrades that you pick up that uh, combine with those weapons and uh, allow you to do more sophisticated versions of, say, the knife attack, like when you have a knife and the glove upgrade, which increases projectile speed. Eventually, if you fully upgrade them both, you get some crazy machine gun knife. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's kind of like uh, one of the... Uh, maybe design lessons to take from this game is the upgrade philosophy is get ridiculous. Like uh, yeah. <laughs> there's that old Sid Meier's quote, when you're changing something, double it or half it. I feel like yeah. this game's like, well, what if we quadrupled it instead? Like uh, <laughs> you go from like throwing a single knife to, like you said, machine gun machete town, uh, just tearing through everything. And that's how it gets to like how you have a thousand zombies coming after you and you're carving a path through them. And yeah, to your point, like uh, the upgrades usually feel meaningful. Like I think upgrades usually have between like five and 10 pips. So like every time you get a a level and uh, just to be clear, you're choosing multiple of these, right? Like I think you have up to five active weapons and up to five passives, I think, something like that. Five or six. Yeah, something along those lines. And um, as I mentioned already, there's synergies between them that, that can happen, but also like they're getting more powerful as you upgrade those individual items as well. You get dozens of levels per run as long as you're staying alive long enough to do it. And the only goal here is to survive and be in the run as long as you can. Mm-hmm. And the runs don't last too long. I think they last 25 or 30 minutes a piece, which is, you know, you can keep going up that uh, power curve. You can construct different builds. The game does have a decent meta system in terms of upgrades you can purchase, which I guess, you know, um, helps you survive a little bit longer. Um, I actually think, though, this game... I think the sessions lasted a little bit too long. Like, uh, this might be after I've put, I don't know, I think I've put maybe 10 or 12 hours into the game. And, um, you know, when I was playing it again over this last weekend and catching up or refreshing myself on it, um, I'd get to minute like 18 or 20 and I I could actually Mm -hmm. like go and leave and make a sandwich. And (laughs) my kill field was so big that I didn't actually have to do anything in order to finish the game. Yeah, once you're you're fully upgraded, as long as you've you know minded your synergies, and odds are you're going to have at least one or two good ones by the end, you're probably kind of set. And yeah, to your point, like it does seem to get a bit road, and and to me the excitement isn't getting to that point. But I would agree that um, you know uh, unlocking 
the items or the, the weapons in game and, and getting to that point is, is the exciting part. And it does get a little long in the tooth by the end of like a full 30 minute session. Although it is super exciting the first time you get there. Uh, considerably <laughs> less so the the dozenth or so and it might be that i just upgraded my meta too much so now the game became too easy towards the, like i pushed myself over the power curve in some ways in terms of those metas i think it's worth mentioning that there are a few different flavors of that one is you know very basic like more health and they're very incremental upgrades to health like i think by fully upgrading the health uh meta upgrade you're doubling your starting health um or something along those lines rather than like you know times 20 where with everything else in the game like it, it strikes me that the upgrades in run are exponential the upgrades in the meta are incremental mm-hmm. and um there's also however other things you can uh meta upgrade which is the choice of characters that you get you can unlock different ones who have different starting weapons and starting abilities uh, my favorite was the guy that started with knives and every time or he automatically started with an extra projectile for every weapon i liked that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that guy did good Mm-hmm. and they're also very fun and sort of castlevania inspired as well like you start off with a clear sort of trevor belmont fellow and then you get an alucard looking fellow at some point and yeah <laughs> it's uh you know the it's definitely like full castlevania that everything here is on loan from the castlevania collection oh um. sure. and it, it works as a theme too i mean vampire survivors surviving vampires better call an alucard you know what there is not a single vampire in this game though <laughs> it's always in another castle or another coffin <laughs> yeah. as they joke so. around or maybe everything's a vampire and you're just facing zombie vampires and mummy vampires and vampire i mean plants. there's the bats <laughs> <laughs> that's true there's bats you know they could all be vampires in disguise we will never know No, to your point earlier about the meta versus the in-game progression, I think that works, that like uh, hits a good sweet spot. And I think this is something that maybe Hades first showed me when I played it, um, was that if you make that meta kind of incremental, then it's like a gentle push up the difficulty curve or a gentle like weighting down of that. Whereas inside the game, it can get it can ramp up quicker because it resets at the end of it but that uh the meta helps you kind of just like slowly adjust that difficulty i think it also helps in providing motivation for the player who's just starting out like i'm sure you like me didn't last very long on your first time out the gate right yeah Um, sure but but what you are noticing is the longer you stay alive and the more treasure you pick up the more money you're bringing out into your main menu where you upgrade those meta upgrades or you purchase those meta upgrades and uh at at the start i think the goal is just to survive as long as possible to get the the gold to do the meta to survive longer to get the gold to do the meta (laughs) and so on and so forth but eventually it it becomes a different goal it's you know experimenting and finding the ultimate synergy and and that's where um that's where you decide whether or not you're going to continue playing this game. And, and it was at that point where I said, I think I'm going to check out some different ones. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair enough. That's well. Be- before we talk about those other ones, though, I do want to talk about the um, auto attack of this. Because I thought that mm-hmm. was a very interesting design idea that it had. Like, it takes away attacking as a verb. Like, you always have to work on movement 
and not just movement in terms of dodging, but movement in terms of making sure your whip lines up because the whip goes horizontally or something like that. So you talked about active versus versus passive skills, and I think that was kind of like the active ones you needed to be positioned better for, whereas the passive ones, like, um, I don't know, the rune tracer just off the top of my head just shoots out at enemies nearby. Yep, yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. It's definitely more of a positioning game than anything uh, in Vampire Survivors just because of that auto-attack thing. And, you know, it's kind of nice to just sort of only have one thing to really focus on. And uh, who doesn't like a game you can play with one hand? Um, you, know, you can always <laughs> just sort of, you know, have a beverage in the other hand or, you know, have a remote if you're flipping between channels, especially if you're later in the game and you don't have to... Uh, necessarily pays close attention to stay alive (laughs) i do think it is kind of funny though um because the game is balanced uh against you and like um you know the skill in this game especially in the early before in the early running before you've jacked up the power curve the skill is in knowing where to move and how to kind of uh, kite enemies, herd enemies, go through tiny enemy tunnels that you've blasted open um, in order to get those experience points. Um, So the game's all about moving, and in some ways it's like a slow-motion bullet hell. Again, even though you're the bullet hell boss in this, or that's the, the tagline for it at least, is you are still doing that kind of precise positioning. Yeah, totally. It, it, it does still feel that way just because of the volume of enemies. But it does balance out with the volume of attacks that you send out later, which those are fun to go through. And as you uh, crank up the number of projectiles, you shoot out. Totally. I'd say if anything sort of accurately summarizes this game is uh, the um, concept of an arms race between you, your weapons, and the cavalcades of enemies that are rushing to break themselves against it. Well, speaking of summarizing this game, why don't we move on to some three-word reviews? Sounds good to me. All right, my three-word review for this game is Bullet Hell Reversal. Vampire Survivors kicked off a genre by being extremely accessible and replayable while introducing a novel but familiar mechanic. Many gamers have played a Bullet Hell shooter, or at least a shoot 'em up or affectionately called the Shmup. Vampire Survivors takes a Bullet Hell boss and lets you play as them. There's a, rap- a rapid and enjoyable power curve as you grow from sniping a couple of bats to mowing down massive hordes of demons. The most interesting part of the game, though, was its lack of an attack button. Your attacks are all timing-based, which means you are chiefly trying to position yourself so that your attacks take out the right enemies. A modern meta progression laid over a classic arcade action makes for a compelling formula, one rightly copied enough that it becomes a genre. Amen. My three-word review is Dracula's Destructive Dopamine. This Castlevania Crash Course is an excellent entry point into the bullet arena genre, or whatever we're calling it, and I quite enjoyed my time learning the synergies and experiencing the pure joy and dopamine hits that vampire survivors can give you. It makes sense to me why this was the breakout moment for this type of game, and I'm interested to see where both vampire survivors and the genre in general go from here. More on that in our next couple segments. With that, we're going to shift our focus onto 20 Minutes Till Dawn. Um, this is, uh, as we had already mentioned up top, another game in, in this 
ever-growing horde of um, games about ever-growing hordes. And this one has hordes of Lovecraftian monsters that you have to survive for 20 minutes. Although on an interesting uh, change from Vampire Survivors, 20 minutes till dawn uses a twin stick control method where you have to actively choose to fire your chosen weapon at the um, enemies in question, which are, uh, you know, still voluminous and horde-like in form. <laughs> it makes a big difference in terms of the game feel, especially early on. Um, I feel like the vampire survivor, like, um, it took me a while to kind of get the, oh, there is no attack button, like, see where it was going with that. Whereas um, 20 Minutes, which was the first game in the genre that I played, um, felt a little more familiar, uh, a little easier to get into because of that. Yeah, I would agree. I would say this is sort of the next step up in terms of um, complexity and what it's asking uh, from the player. And I think um, there, there's an interesting story behind that. Actually, I read a, a short interview with the developer who goes by Flan, F-L-A-N-N-E, who lives in the in the on the East Coast here in the States. And um, he said that the, the main reason he put that in was because uh, they did not like the lack of uh, sort of a attack button in Vampire Survivors. So uh, <laughs> they figured, well, um, if no one else is going to put this in this game, I'll do it myself <laughs> and made a, uh, a fast follow that iterated on the concept and, and I think really pivoted it in in a pretty solid and interesting way. No, I agree with that. Uh, the Flan, uh, the developer... Uh, he has talked about before how he saw the success of Vampire Survivors and started developing a prototype as a kind of a break from, I think he was working on a five-year-long tactical RPG project, which he now says was overly ambitious as a first-time developer. You know, classic game dev sin right there is trying to make an MMO <laughs> as your first game. Um, <laughs> but he ha did a great job with this. He um, was able to quickly iterate on the idea, add his own twist to it. I mean, um, adding that verb, I think, does change the flavor of the game quite a bit, but still preserve the big parts about the horde wave format kind of thing and kind of put it uh make a good game uh well worth playing in its own right yeah definitely agree and i think um you know in we've, we've said it was a fast follow a couple times and i think it's worth mentioning just how fast because we're talking about vampire survivors gaining popularity in january and then later here in june um of 2022 um 20 minutes till dawn launched. So <laughs> pretty mm -hmm. quick follow, honestly. Um, clearly someone who had a, a at least a good concept and um, maybe some art and a, a good framework to work in and, and was able to get this out the door pretty quick. So, you know, capitalizing on a moment uh, when they have some inspiration. Pretty great thing to have happen. I think there were a couple of things that made this game click a little better for me because I think I've put maybe as much time into 20 minutes as I have into the other two put together. In fact, uh, I think just last night I was almost to the final ascension mode. I think I just beat uh, level 13 of 15. So I've put some put some time into this. But um, a couple of things I think, uh, first of all, is that... This uses guns instead of the Castlevania weapons, and I actually think that was uh, a really good choice for it because, uh, well, you know, uh, let's say you are vampire survivors and you're like, should I take the axe upgrade? I don't know. What does the axe upgrade do? Whereas 
the upgrade choices in uh, 20 Minutes Till Dawn, it's like, well, I'm using the submachine gun right now, which has a lot of bullets because it's a submachine gun. And I'm looking at, um, let's see, this upgrade would add 10% to my bullet damage, and this one would apply a freeze effect on hit. Well, I got a lot of hits going on, so I'm kind of trending towards that hit direction. Like, the guns, I think, made it a little easier to visualize where the builds were going. I agree. You're it, this uh, the ability to sort of choose in twenty minutes till dawn. Not only a starting character who has a specific perk, but also match them with the starting weapon. Really started to steer your build in a certain direction before you even started playing. Which I could not say about Vampire Survivors. Like you never know exactly what's going to show up in those first few treasure chests or level ups you get. Um, so it, at that point, you're kind of at the whims of RNG. Um, in 20 minutes till dawn, I felt like I could steer my build a lot more easily um, run to run just based on the fact that for my money there are sort of three major flavors there's like the gun augment skills there's the glare or like area of effect around your player skills and then there's summons um and i feel like if you go down one of those three paths and optimize for it and basically just keep yourself survivable while doing it you're you're going to be relatively successful um but there's a lot of sort of variety within those three as well yeah absolutely like um even within the kind of you're going all into the guns you can have um like i can have the same character and same starting weapon uh but i might go with well here's a bunch of skills about reloading my weapon or here's a bunch of skills around making sure i never have to reload my weapon uh and both of those can be you know very powerful things so it works out really well with that Totally. The ability to just sort of execute on a build um, that, that you're kind of uh, freeform generating as you go um, just feels really good in this game. Like it seems to me that they've they've put a lot of skills together in the same trees that feel really good to get. And um, once you start to realize that they're all sort of part of skill trees that are causing each other to appear, it, it to me, it, like I, I, peer, I was able to peer behind the curtain a little more quickly with this one. Um, there wasn't, I think, as much to discover run to run, but at the same time, it felt probably better doing it. So while I think the well, weirdly enough, may be deeper on Vampire Survivors just in terms of raw content, I think the discovery of the content was a little bit more um, enjoyable for me in 20 Minutes Till Dawn. No, I agree with that. And, you know, I think there is... Um... One of the things I liked about 20 Minutes to Dawn was these Ascension modes they had. Like, you know, we talked about how uh, Vampire Survivors, you get to the top of the power curve and, you know, you're watching TV, I'm making dinner. Um, <laughs> it gets to a point where the game's over. It just hasn't realized it yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, with the Ascension modes in 20 Minutes to Dawn, it could ramp up the difficulty, which was really nice when you're like, oh, well, I've beaten it on its own right now and the game's like okay here's something that's like 10 percent harder so you got to learn to scrape by a little more uh efficiently um going through that which provided i think that's why i played this game twice as much as any of the others yeah i don't remember what it was called but this this type of mechanic appeared in hades too where you could put sort of additional heat levels on yourself uh, i can't remember if that's exactly what it was called but basically just adding an additional level of difficulty and a twist that will improve your rewards or you know increase the challenge uh, for those that are consistently making it to the end 
One other thing I want to mention for uh, 20 Minutes to Dawn is, well, first, you know, you have your guns that you aim yourself. And I think this made the wall of enemies effect even more dramatic because you're literally choosing where to carve out the uh, enemies by choosing where you shoot over there. Uh, But one kind of little grace note that, you know, they didn't, uh, Flan didn't have to do this, but it really made it interesting that he did is that you have different speeds that your character moves around with when you are reloading versus when you are firing your weapon. And this has the effect of raising the dramatic tension quite a bit. Um, when you have, when you're trying to carve out that pathway, um, because if you had a constant speed, you could very quickly tell this enemy is catching up to me or this enemy is not catching up to me. Um, but on the other hand, if you're firing and you're slower and then you go through your ammo clip and you're faster while you're reloading, you're kind of, the enemy is catching up to you. You're going away from them. The enemy is catching up to you. It's um, harder to it's tell. Ebb and flow, him. Yeah, it's, a, it's this ebb and flow and it's harder to tell if you actually are out running them or if you need to quickly change the direction you're going for. It made, it made for some good tense moments. Yeah, I agree. And um, one other thing that was a nice sort of touch that this game had that was uh, pointedly different from Vampire Survivors is the uh, overall sort of aesthetic, that very simple color palette, a uh, very reduced color palette, almost a two-tone aesthetic really. Um, I think it was mostly um, dark green, black, and red. Um, I'd say this is probably the most stylish of the three games we're going to talk about today, just in terms of its overall aesthetic. Oh, I agree with it. It definitely had an aesthetic opinion about it. I call it the Game Boy Plus One. I think there's yeah. four <laughs> colors plus the red for like, hey, watch out for this, which was used to good effect. Yeah, there was only one thing that sort of didn't work for me on this was um, the dragon. I feel like whenever I had a dragon, I just lost him in the monsters because he was the same color as them. Um, <laughs> we should make, make that dragon a different color for or something. Um, <laughs> but other than that, it, it was uh, generally pretty easy to parse. Um, uh, and I enjoyed uh, just sort of the, the way the overall aesthetic worked. And, and as you mentioned, that red was really helpful to call out projectiles. For projectiles, for sure. I will say that on some of those later Ascension things, I think the enemies could have used a little more legibility, especially there were these big explosive guys that you would not be able to tell um, were sneaking up on you because they all blend in with the other enemies. I feel like, um, you know, I've seen bosses have a small red outline. If they did something like that for some of these more dangerous elites, that would have been helpful. Apart from that, great aesthetics. Yeah, I know. I know exactly the guys you're talking about, and and I agree. Um, I think it's probably always going to be hard with games in this genre to make the art parsable enough for the amount of stuff that's going on on the screen. Um, but you know, you just have to sort of ride the line here. And at least this game was, you know, very clearly putting its um, it's stylistic, uh, you know, pen to paper and, and foot in a very specific camp, and I can commend it for that at least. Yeah. Oh, I think I agree. This was the most, uh, uh, the best art of any of these three games. I will push back on that, but I'll save it for the next section. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right. Well, with that, um, why don't we sum up our thoughts on 20 Minutes Till Dawn with a three-word review? All right. My three-word review for 20 Minutes is Guns as Maps. 20 Minutes Till Dawn was my first and favorite of the three games we played for this cast. The no-attack button of Vampire Survivors was interesting, but it took me several hours of gameplay to get it. 20 Minutes, on the other hand, has the classic video game shoot button, which makes it more initially accessible. Surprisingly, I think that the theme of using guns instead of Castlevania weapons also worked much better. It's easy to see that a submachine gun will have tons of bullets, and that a grenade launcher will have powerful explosions. This made it easier to imagine which power-ups work well with different weapons, and the contours of the progression system were more legible. I kind of think that guns are a little bit overused in video games in general, but here they acted as valuable landmarks in learning a new genre. Yeah, definitely agree. It improved sort of the immediate access of the game. Uh, My three-word review is simple, stylish slaying. 20 Minutes Till Dawn iterates on the arena survival formula by adding a compelling gun and reload mechanic and a host of interesting build options. It also looks and sounds great. It's a great next step towards a more active play style from the Vampire Survivors archetype, and it has this ability for you to build, or to visualize your build and steer towards it that is just off the charts fun. The build serendipity that you stumble upon from run to run is consistently rewarding, and all of the skills have this weird way of working extremely well together. Uh, My first victory came from having a shotgun ice flamethrower build that was protected by... um, a holy smite field around me and it was just so nice to stumble into something like that and, and come away with a victory for the first time it felt just uh, just like a lot of fun and uh i think that's a, a nice way to sum up this game it's just a lot of fun <laughs> <laughs> i mean for games no higher praise right agreed um and that will take us into our final game that we're going to talk about uh, on the cast today bone razor minions um so this one is slightly different, although, um, as we said, still in the sort of bullet heaven-ish genre, um, sort of vampire survivors adjacent. But this one is definitely a, probably the most unique of the three, because you're not um, necessarily shooting from your character. Um, you are basically summoning a army of undead minions of various types and then dashing about and casting a support spell here and there to allow them to kill all of the various enemies uh, that come and try and take you out since you are a demonic undead lich that has risen from the dead to terrorize the land. (laughs) I thought it was an interesting way to take it. Like it's does the whole waves of hordes of enemies coming at you, but um, you're focused almost entirely on the dodging the enemies aspect because mm-hmm. you, um, the best you can do is kind of like try to position, get the enemies to be next to the minions or get the minions to protect you. Truth be told, I didn't really worry about my minions at all. I just trusted that they were going to do their thing if I stayed <laughs> stayed free and clear. Um, and they did. Generally speaking, I think the coup de grace on this game, like the thing that I think makes it work, is your minions generally do succeed in killing the enemies pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the place that I failed in this game most commonly was me running into stuff or getting trapped in a corner or something like that, not my... Um, my minions inability to to kill stuff or kill the people that i wanted them to kill um i do think that this 
also had just a lot of different things going on in it that the other ones didn't. Like there's this whole sort of architecture mode mechanic where you are seeding the battlefield with boons or traps, you know, boons for yourself or traps for your enemies uh, that can either improve your summons or take out enemies or give you some healing. And there's also just a startling level of classes and builds and summons you can get um, through sort of meta upgrades here. I think if like Vampire Survivors and 20 Minutes Till Dawn were pretty similar on the meta upgrade level, this one had just a lot more going on on the meta upgrade side of things. I agree with that, and they were pretty powerful meta upgrades too, both for the classes and for the general across all characters kind of thing. I kind of feel like um, uh, Vampire Survivors had the great idea of like taking an upgrade system and ramping it to 11, but that was only for the inside the game, whereas uh, Bone Razor was like, why not have that for everything? <laughs> exactly. Um, I think it's worth developing that this is also probably the most experienced game dev of the three. The developer, Caius, is a, a UK game developer who has 10 games on Steam alone dating back to 2014, and they're currently working on a roguelike called Dead Zone that looks awesome, so maybe a future roguelike roundup uh, possibility <sighs> in the future there for us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um I think I also want to call out the art style in this one because this is my favorite art style of the group. It is this really colorful pixel art that sort of like, I guess, harkens back to like retro UK games. Like it has that sort of black background, but then sort of weird off color color palette going on. And it's Mm -hmm. really, it's really striking. Like it's always something that sticks out to me when I see it. It's not the most parsable thing in the world. And I think this game may in fact be the most difficult to parse of the three, but I still like the way it looked the best. No, that's fair. You know what it reminds me of? Uh, Ghosts and Goblins. Yeah, yeah. It has, it has a similar color palette. I wouldn't be surprised if that was a little bit intentional, too. Like, you're in a graveyard the whole time. I, I think... I, I, what I kind of like about this one, though, is the run structure feels a lot different than the other two as well. Like, clearly, this you're doing a lot of the same things. You're still, you know, waiting for an enemy to die from your minions. Then you're grabbing their experience points. In this case, it's Bones. And then when you get enough to level up, quote unquote, you get to summon a new minion. And of course, that is sort of how the snowball power curve works in this game. You continually raise more and more minions. Eventually, you get the opportunity to combine, you know, two or three of your minions into a more powerful minion or summon a new type of minion altogether, um, depending on your class or the skills that you uh, are working with. Um, And... There's just so many different ways you can set up both your character and use the architecture mode to set up the stage to support the type of build that you want to put into play. And I think that makes this game probably, to my eye, the deepest of the three, but also the hardest to get into, which for this genre can either be catnip or kryptonite, depending on how you are you know, approaching it, right? If you're looking for a casual game, you can jump right into um, and maybe something a little less... Uh, intensive from like a mental strain perspective, then this isn't going to work. It's just not going to be something you gravitate towards. But, you know, if you're approaching this for a little bit more mechanical depth and you like what things like Vampire Survivors and 20 Minutes Till Dawn are doing, but want to just have that sort of one extra layer of uh, strategizing, I think Bone Razor Minions does a really good job with that. So, I, you know, I, I used that architecture mode as well, but I don't think I ever changed what I was doing based on my class or my what build I was going for. Mm. Maybe you got more into it than me. 
Yeah, yeah. I think once you start to unlock certain classes and you realize that like, oh, this guy focuses on summoning demons. So I can put in specific things in my architecture mode that increase my uh, ability to, you know, get the prerequisites for getting to a demon or increases the amount of demons I can have on the board. There's also perks for every single class. And I think there's something crazy like 10 classes. I think all of these games have, you know, between eight and 10 or maybe even more than that classes, but it just struck me that there is kind of a lot going on. There's even like a, a little mini game in this that's sort of a real-time strategy adjacent thing <laughs> that you can play between runs in your little um, your little abode where you purchase meta upgrades and upgrade classes and upgrade perks for your classes. There's just, I guess it's I, kind of like the maximalist Vampire Survivors. If Vampire Survivors is the minimalist version, <laughs> hold on. What's the uh, what's the mini game? I think I played got most of my hours in on this before you got the abode. Oh, okay, yeah. So there's this. You eventually get that your like little um, uh, your catacomb where you start off. You know, you're sort of a lich type figure, and there's uh, even this little strategy card game that after each run you get a loot drop that has like a card and it has arrows on it and you can then go to this board and it's sort of like a four by four board and you place the little card enemies on it and um you can compete in that between runs in your your little abode (laughs) no that's interesting yeah i um there was an update that came like right before i beat the game yeah (laughs) uh seems to have added quite a bit so i never Never did the strategy game. That's a that's a fun little card game thing. I like that. Yeah, they uh, this, they're still adding to this one pretty actively. Uh, Caius is so it's um I, I would say you know all of these games are cheap, so there's no reason not to go out and pick up every last one of the games we talked about today. <laughs> <laughs> they're all like between three and five dollars, <laughs> and they're all mm-hmm. like to my mind a, a good amount of fun. So. Um, you can kind of just dine out on this uh, this genre, or at least these three games within the genre for a good long time if you're uh, on a budget. There's a couple things I really appreciated about Bone Razor. Um, one of them was that your minions don't die in this game. And, you know, uh, I've I've played a lot of games as a necromancer-type person, uh, but <laughs> never have you had immortal minions. Uh, so the game, I think it worked really well with this game. Like, you never worried about replenishing your supply you're just like which ones have i chosen so it kind of made the game really good uh legible in its discrete steps on that power curve you have one skeleton you have two skeletons now and you just have two skeletons they don't get ganked or anything that's a really good point it's not often in a management or army management or strategy game that you're not worried about attrition or your your army being depleted it's really all just about honing the knife in this one, right? Your your <laughs> army can only get better and more powerful, which is a nice a nice thing to feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it it avoids the um, the problem we talked about way back on Heroes Three, where you get far enough and you incur enough losses that you're just screwed for the next challenge that comes your way. <laughs> oh yeah, the worst part about strategy games, right? It's like, oh, I I beat player A now, player B is gonna stomp me because they exactly like. That would be no fun in this game to like overcome this significant challenge and finally beat this boss and then to enter the next level with one skeleton left and immediately get your ass handed to you. (laughs) (laughs) So that works. Yeah, that works out good for this game. Totally. Uh, The other thing I really liked about this game was the uh, meta was very upfront 
about itself. It was, um, you know, after each run, you're able to go back to the meta menu. It's like, hey, you have this currency that can only be spent improving your class. Or, hey, look at all these unlockable unlockables that you can uh, purchase and buy and find out what they do. Yeah, and and you're right that just basically up until a couple weeks before we um we did this cast, aka right after you stopped playing, it sounds like they just had them literally in a menu that was called meta progression. <laughs> <laughs> and I liked how, as you said, upfront that was. It's like yes, this these games have meta progression. We're just going to call it what it is. Um, they they eventually put a little bit of more framing around it, and and as I mentioned, they have the little catacomb home base layer um, that these menus are housed in to sort of make it a little more diegetically cohesive. But, um, you know, it, it, to your point, Josh, it, it, it is very upfront with like what it's expecting you to do from a mechanical perspective to continue to progress through the game, you know, progress through the levels, see more bosses, unlock more enemies, repeat the cycle. Mm-hmm. All right. With that, let's summon up our thoughts on Bone Razor Minions with a three word review. All right, my three-word review for Bone Razor Minions is back to hell. Instead of adding a verb like 20 minutes till dawn, Bone Razor Minions takes away another. Bone Razor has you raising minions to do your dirty work, and all the attacks come from your skeletons instead of yourself. This small shift changes the game feel from bullet heaven of vampire survivors back to the more traditional bullet hell. Um... 95% of your movement is maneuver dedicated to dodging the bad guys while you wait for your minions to fight back. I've always loved minion-based gameplay, and in fact, to this day, I think of Diablo 2 as that necromancer game. So I enjoyed the different combinations of minions available. Still, I think this game isn't quite as deep as the other two. A straight-to-the-point meta-progression system keeps the game really interesting as you're going through it, but it peters out a bit as you rapidly advance through the power curve. That said, this game is not expensive, and I can't complain about a $5 game only giving me 10 to 12 good hours of entertainment. (laughs) Absolutely. My three-word review for Bone Razor Minions is Welcome, a Feature Creep. If Vampire Survivors is the most distilled version of this type of game, then Bone Razor Minions is the most convoluted, to an almost comical degree. But I mean that in the best way possible. Adding in the summoning and combining mechanic, the architecture mode, and a host of character, character build and perk options, this game iterates towards a much higher level of build variety and encourages the player to experiment. The pixel art is gorgeous, though it can be unclear, and the music, the music is fantastic. Overall, this is my favorite of the three, and to my mind the most unique although it could do probably with a bit of streamlining. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, we want to say thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to share it with folks you think might enjoy it as well. And if you want to get in touch, drop us a note at pixelatedplaygrounds at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at pixelplaypod. And for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Kalecki. Take care and keep on surviving.
I really dug this sort of trifecta of games in a, a similar vein here. This was a lot of fun, and it's always nice to sort of get a little sampler pack. Oh, for sure. And they're so different, too. Like, um, even within a new genre, these games had different ideas about how to stand out and do things. Like, I mean, Vampire Survivor sets the tone, at least. Um, but the other two had some really cool ideas about where to take this thousands of enemies running at you kind of idea. Yeah, and these are all 2022 games that we've talked about this year. You know, starting off with early access Vampire Survivors in January, over the summer getting 20 minutes till dawn, and then uh, just back in August, um, Bone Razor Minions coming out. So yeah, it's um, it's a burgeoning genre, and here we are right on the ground floor telling everyone everything they need to know about it, and it definitely <laughs> won't change at all from here. <laughs> Probably not. You know, I, I think six months of evolution is enough for any genre. Yep, absolutely. Hang it up, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's a comment you made earlier on uh, in one of our uh, chat channels talking about how um, uh, you feel felt like you needed to get a good run in to kind of see the synergies and kind of get the genre. Yeah, not even just the genre, but any given game within it. Like, I feel like... It, for the first few runs of any game in the genre, you're just kind of floundering around trying to see what works, and eventually you stumble on something that does, and that in turn lets you play much longer into a run than any previous run lasted, most likely. And after that, you know, you're starting to see like new powers, you're starting to see what upgrades to powers look like, you're starting to see how those things might fit together from your things that you saw in your previous runs. And to me, like, that's the moment that you start to get the games the first time you have like a good run and you can see something through ideally to the completion of a round but at the very least very late into a round and you know maybe you get stumped by the last boss <laughs> <laughs> no i i'm with you there and i think that's one of the advantages that these games have is that they have a short play time too like um i i think your description there could be applied to you know, classic dungeon crawler roguelikes too. But, you know, uh, uh, a dungeon crawl might last five to six hours as opposed to 20 minutes with one of these games. Or 20 minutes if you have a good run, five minutes if you don't. So there's a lot quicker of a feedback loop with these. I think, like, we're starting to hit on something with, like, the ability to quickly iterate and experiment here that like at least people like us seem to gravitate towards. <laughs> mm -hmm. Not just in terms of small time commitments, but also in terms of small monetary commitments as well. Uh, for all of these games we played, none of them cost more than $5. You can pick up the whole the whole package of them for less than 10 bucks probably right now. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's an interesting strategy too, because if you like... Um, there haven't been a lot of games released in that under $5 category, at least none that have uh, the depth that these games do. I think there's something larger going on in the industry where, you know, there's a lot more people starting, a lot more marketplaces that are coming into, you know, purchasing these games. Like, for example, 20 Minutes Till Dawn was heavily marketed towards an Asian market, and China is like 50% of its user base. 
um, uh, you know, different price points make sense for different countries, and you're able to set those things regionally. But designing something to be affordable, no matter where it's marketed to and to whom it's marketed to, um, just lowers that barrier to entry even further. I feel like, how how many $3 games have you bought in the last year? Or not last year, but the year before, say. Uh, let's qualify that, because uh, on Steam, not very many at all. On iOS, this is kind of like the mode of the day, um, and I really don't buy anything if it doesn't have like a set price point on iOS. Like, I'm, you'd be hard pressed to find like a free-to-play game that, um, well, one, discoverability on the App Store is a disaster, but two, like free-to-play games have a bad rep for a reason. And unless something comes highly <laughs> recommended or I can see very clearly what's going on with it, I'll probably just opt for the premium game that actually has the three ninety-nine price point or whatever, you know lets you actually buy the game at once instead of being <laughs> gated all the time yeah, yeah. and and interestingly um there is one ios game that i want to mention because it reminded me so much or rather vampire or bone razor minions reminded me so much of it and it was called snkrx all one word all caps um, basically it's like a snake clone but what you're doing is you're adding um a piece like a block it's a very simplistic game you're just adding a block to your snake Um, and what that block will do is it'll have a name like ranger or wizard or warrior and it will basically perform an attack um, like what it says on the tin and your goal is to go around and and kill all of these enemies on like a snake board Um, it was probably the most fun i had with an ios game last year in i guess 2021 um, and I think it was sort of like maybe a precursor to this type of game, although obviously very different in its own right, since it was sort of based more on Snake than on um, anything else. No, I heard that was one of maybe the inspirations of Vampire Survivors. You mentioned uh, Magic Survivors as a mobile game that inspired Vampire Survivors too, and I think I do see maybe more mobile world influences on Vampire Survivors than on the other two games we played. I'm thinking in particular of the treasure chest that you can unlock. And there's a long, very juicy, lots of noises and sound effects kind of animation that plays when you unlock a treasure chest that I felt like it felt mobile. You know what I mean? It feels mobile, but it also feels like a casino. It feels like um, what shows up. Potato, potato. A, yeah, it, it, fair enough. It, it shows up. It feels like what shows up on a um, slot machine when you win uh, or when you like get a good pull or whatever. And um, by the way, just a quick aside, SNKRX did make its way to Steam late or mid last year. And um, yeah, I would just go ahead and say I recommend that game. I don't know how well it plays on Steam compared to iOS, but if it's half as good, it was a great game. And it's two ninety nine. <laughs> oh my. Am I buying it right now? I think you are. 